welcome to the Atmosphere Church Podcast. On behalf of all of us here at Atmosphere, thank you for downloading or streaming this message. We pray that it will touch your heart and change your life. Regardless of what you believe, where you come from, or what questions you might have, you are welcome here. Our desire is to help lead you in experiencing God by following Jesus. If you want to find out more information about us, head over to our website at atmosphere.church. We have already prayed for you that today's message would speak directly to your heart and empower you to live the life that God has called you to live. Enjoy the message. Ben Corson, go for it, my brother. I love you so much, dude. Is it just me or has your church like grown since the pandemic? It's just, it's crazy. God's so good. And I'm so glad you're here. I love coming to Southern California. And this has quickly become one of my favorite places to come in this area. Like uh, I, your son said, this is the best church in the world. I'm like, I wouldn't disagree, man. This is really special. And honestly, the, the, the vibe, the atmosphere here, I love how it's called Atmosphere Church is you really feel the love and the hope and the joy. And that attitude reflects the leadership here. And I just want to give honor to where honors do, as Paul says. And I really love you. Thank you for having me. So guys, we have a short amount of time. We have a short amount of time, 10.55K. So I have like 30 minutes or whatever to give you a very, very impassioned message from my heart, from the scriptures. And also it's, um, I'm gonna co- try to cover at least 11 chapters overview from my book. Uh, I'll be at the book table afterwards and you know, I would love to write hope notes. And these are overviews of the chapters. You're like, how is he gonna do that? So quick overviews, but we have a lot to cover. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter three. And uh, I'm going to talk to you today about how to have hope in the face of depression. Isn't that a timely thing? Nearly half of Americans are reporting that COVID-19 has exacerbated their mental illness. In fact, there was a federal emergency hotline that reported a 1,000% increase for incoming calls regarding those in emotional distress this April as juxtaposed against last April. And so this isn't just something that I see statistically with once out of every 40 seconds, someone around the world will commit suicide. There's 123 suicides a day, according to USA Today and our nation alone. In fact, there are twice as many suicides as murders. And in 2017, uh, believe it or not, Suicide was the second leading cause of death in my age group. So I just have a real heart to spread hope to our generation, not just because of what's happening statistically, but also because in my own life, I went through over 10 years of clinical chronic depression where my counselor said, you have one of the most difficult cases of depression I've ever had to treat, uh, especially after the death of my brother and the death of my sister and just going through other tragedies as well. And so I want to share with you, and I literally got diagnosed with complex PTSD. I didn't know what that was until I got diagnosed with it. And that's when you go through a bunch of traumas that you don't quite know how to assimilate. And so my message for people is that if God could heal my broken heart, and he has, he can heal anybody. And I believe that on our very worst day with God, we are better off than on our best day without God. And when we're going through our worst, God is planning his best. These aren't just greeting cards or fluffy lacy embroidery pillow statements. This is reality. This is pragmatism. This is fleshed out, the word made flesh in our lives. And we're going to see how in Ephesians chapter three. You guys ready? We're staying on time. Okay, Ephesians three. Here we go. This is, uh, we're going to start in verse 14. 
Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven, that's church triumphant, and earth, that's church militant, is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, elsewhere Paul called them the unsearchable riches of Christ, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Friends, my prayer for you right now is that you would be strengthened with might through the power of the spirit in the inner man. What we need less of is pity from people and what we need more of is power in the presence of the Prince of Peace. What we need are not snowflakes in the millennial generation. What we need are, we need DEFCON 1, MI5, Navy SEAL Team 6, Paratrooper, Green Beret, Lone Survivor, Marcus Luttrell, American Sniper, Chris Kyle, Seal of God, Chad Williams, Heroic Stoic, Joyful Soldier, Happy Warrior. We need people who are gonna storm the gates of hell and redirect traffic, who are gonna put on the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, wielding that taking up the shield of faith, which can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, fight a good fight, wage a good warfare, and go hunt some demons. We need to be the answer to Paul's prayer that we would be strengthened with might by the power of the spirit in the inner man. Now, Paul was writing this from prison. And back then, prison wasn't, you know, post-Johnny Cash prison reform. You know, you watch ESPN and lift weights. No, back then, prison was brutal. Uh, it's actually believed that we found Paul's prison cell in Rome. It's basically a hole in the ground, and prisoners would be stacked on top of each other, separated between grates. So not to get all crude here, but if the guy on the top goes to the bathroom, what happens to the guy on the bottom? Like we're talking about ancient, horrific conditions. No running water, no warm meals. It's a brutal situation Paul's in. And yet he manages to get on his knees and he prays for the church of Ephesus that they would be strengthened with might by the power of the spirit in the inner man. Now, Ephesus was a city of about half a million people. It had one of the ancient wonders of the world, a temple built to Diana Artemis, 220 years in building. It had a theater that would seat 25,000 to 50,000 people approximately. And it was also the center of the Eastern part of the Roman empire. And it was the church through which all the churches of uh, Revelation 2 and 3 that Jesus addressed started. So this was the channel and funnel through which all the churches of Asia Minor started in Revelation 2 and 3. And uh, believe it or not, Ephesus is so luxuriant, it was known as the bank of Asia Minor. It was very, very wealthy. In fact, you can walk the streets of Ephesus today. The same marble white tiles that Paul walked on, you can walk on those tiles. I actually have. It's very, very beautiful city. And so Paul uses a lot of monetary terms in the book of Ephesians. He'll talk about the, full, uh, the terms like fullness, terms like inheritance, these fiscal economic terms. In our passage here, he talks about the riches. Elsewhere, he calls them the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul believes that we can tap into this reservoir, that we can tap into this spiritual currency, that we have the riches of Christ spiritually on our behalf that will strengthen us with might by the power of his spirit in the inner man. So, okay, we need strength. There, there's two misconceptions when it comes to depression. One is that if you struggle with depression, you're either sinning or you're weak, which is absolutely absurd in most cases because Elijah wanted to die after a woman chased him in a chariot. He could face 850 prophets of Baal in the groves, 
But one angry woman named Jezebel, who at her death, like right before she died, she painted her face. So I just picture her like the female it clown chasing him in a chariot. He ends up under a juniper broom tree in a cave and wants to die. He was the godliest prophet perhaps to ever live. You look at somebody like Jonah, the greatest spiritual awakening in Assyrian history. He wanted to die when a worm ate his plant. He said, God, I want to die. God said, why? He said, because a worm ate my plant. You don't see clearly when you have suicide ideation or anxiety or depression. No one sees the world clearly if their eyes are blurred by tears. David was borderline, if not bipolar. One minute, he's dancing in his linen ephod before the Ark of the Covenant. The next minute, he's saying, my God, why have you forsaken me? Moses said, God, this is what he said, if you continue to treat me this way, God, take my life. Job said, I wish I was a stillborn. And watch this, watch this. Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death in the garden of Gethsemane. And Paul said, we despaired even of life. So I just want to really remove the stigma and taboo from depression and say, if you struggle with depression, that does not mean you're sinning. That does not mean you're weak. Look at these great Bible characters. On the other hand, we've removed the stigma in some cases to such an extreme in the centennial millennial generation that a lot of people say, especially in the LA area, oh, you know, I'm just, it's my authentic self to be depressed. It's very trendy to say, you can't heal depression. Like you just got to learn to live with depression. And, and, and my whole thing is, what did the psalmist say in Psalm 42, verse 5, 11, and then Psalm 43, he repeats this refrain three times. He says this one thing, why are you cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. He didn't say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Keep up the good work. Like, keep being depressed. It's your authentic self. Just learn to live with depression. I'm a four on the Enneagram. That's just who I am. No, he said, why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God. And this is where I take a hard turn from the trendy teaching of today. I do not believe you have to live with depression. I believe you can defeat depression. The Bible does not say God has given you a sick mind. The Bible says God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And what you believe determines what you'll experience and how you perceive God dictates how you receive from God because your concentration dictates your reality. And so I wanna paint over your spiritual vision, an image of hope today. So what we're going to do with the 20 or so minutes we have left is I'm going to give you 11 weapons. These are actually chapters from the book, and I cannot go deep into them right now for lack of time, but I want to go over 11 weapons very briefly, just an overview in regards to how we can defeat the dark Lord of depression. Again, these are 11 chapters from the book, but they're actually all scattered throughout scripture. So here we go. You guys are doing good so far. I know we're off to the races. Okay, number one, I, I really want you guys to be practically armed today. Like I don't want you guys just to have orthoprax, orthodoxy. I want you to have orthopraxy. Like I don't want you just to have, uh, in the words of Ephesians, Sophia, which is high lofty wisdom. I want you to have phronesis, which is the idea of sound judgment in your everyday life. So I really want to leave here having armed you to the teeth and having done a good work in you guys. So let, let's, let's, let's tackle these. Number one, these are the 11 things God used to heal me of depression. Number one, prayer walks. Would everyone say prayer walks? Let's say that with a little more chutzpah. Everyone say prayer walks. The Bible says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Jesus said, if you earthly parents know how to give good gifts to your kids and you're evil, he said that in comparison to the heavenly father, how much more 
will your heavenly father give the spirit and good gifts to those who ask? Now, first he used these three, these two examples. He said, which of you parents would give your son, watch this, a stone if he asked for a uh, uh, bread? Now, stones back in Jesus's geological topographical territory were limestones and they looked like little loaves of bread. So you could trick your son and say, here's a loaf of bread, little Johnny, and then he breaks his teeth on the stone. Jesus says, no one's gonna do that. Second example he uses, which of you parents would give your son a snake if he asked for a fish? Now, one scholar believes that that word fish can actually be translated in the original etymological Greek, eel. Now, which of you parents would give your, your kids a sea snake or an eel if he asked for a fish? Now, eels were part of the forbidden food groups in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. So imagine his son's like, dad, can I go to seafood with you tonight? He's like, of course. And then instead of handing you a fish, he gives you an eel. The Jewish boy would be like, I'm not allowed to eat this. It's against the law. You're tantalizing me. You're tricking me and teasing me. Jesus used a third example. He said, which of you parents would give your son a scorpion if he asked for an egg? Now there's a pale kind of scorpion in nature that when it's at rest, it rolls up into a ball and it looks like an egg. I'm going to go Star Wars here for a second, but you guys remember Phantom Menace, those droidecas that would like zap people and then roll up into a ball? There's scorpions that do that. They're like, they roll up into a ball, these pale kind of scorpions. They look like, happy Easter. It looks like an egg. And then it's a scorpion. Jesus says, no parent's going to do that. And what was Jesus saying? When you pray, when you ask in the present imperative, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, you're going to find the Lord's going to answer. The door's going to open to you. Why is he saying this? Because the Father does not want to trick you. Friends, I have heard so many people say, the last thing I want to do is be a missionary in Zimbabwe, so that's exactly where God's going to send me because he has a sense of humor. No, Jesus says, no, actually. God does not trick you. He does not give you scorpions and limestone rocks and eels. No, he wants to give to you. That's something my mom has been speaking to my life lately. She's like a sunbeam personified. She says, Ben, God wants to give to you. And can I tell you that? God wants to give to you. So when you pray, be expectant. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, Hebrews eleven six. So number one, go on those prayer walks. Talk to God about your hopes, fears, and dreams. Scientific research says it has the same effect on your brain as therapy. And when you talk to God, you know what? You can even gossip to him. Have you read the imprecatory Psalms? God, break his teeth, the psalmist would say. Remember? Break his teeth. God's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that about her. Like, I had no idea she stabbed you in the back like that. What a juicy deed. Now I look at her totally different. No, God already knows. God already knows. And then when you start praying through, you're not going to put someone on your hit list who you put on your prayer list. Go on prayer walks. It'll make you feel a lot better and it'll change your life. Number two, we're going to go much briefer for the rest. Number two, scripture, scholar, scuba gear. Let's go Navy SEAL here and put on our tanks. Scripture, scholar, scuba gear. Here's what I want to tell you with this point. There are over 3,500 promises in the Bible. Did you know that? We know Romans 8, 28. We know John 3, 16, which is great, which is great. But if there's over 3,500 promises in the Bible, like I want to take as many as possible. Like, did you know this is a promise? Turn ye to the strongholds, ye prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double to you. 
the prophet Zechariah said, there are so many promises. Don't just settle with jet skiing across the surface of the water of the word. Go deep. Over, th- over 3,500 promises. No matter how many problems you have today, I guarantee there's more promises. Number three, let's keep going. Number three, the magic number of greatness. The magic number of greatness. Have you guys ever heard of the 10,000 hour rule? Malcolm Gladwell, his book, Outliers. He did a study where he found every world-class master, whether it's a science fiction writer, a master criminal, whether it's Mozart or Beethoven, whether it's the Beatles, whoever it is, they have to practice for 10,000 hours, which by the way is why the Beatles were so good because they played more live shows than most bands do in their entire career before they ever came to America on that Sullivan show with the British invasion. So they were playing eight hours a night, seven days a week at a club in Hamburg, Germany. Probably felt like eight days a week, but basically the Beatles worked harder there's a few Beatles fans than anyone else. And that's why they were so good. And so too, the Bible says hard, this is the book of Proverbs, hard work means prosperity. Only fools idle away their time. Again, the book of Proverbs says in the NLT, work hard and become a leader, be lazy and become a slave. Sometimes you gotta just stop crying and start sweating. Work your craft. Work is not a result of the curse. Do you understand that? If, you, if that's your theology, that you think that work is a result of the curse, you will be depressed from nine to five, Monday through Friday, 40 hours out of the week. You're gonna think you're cursed. But just so you know, work is not a curse. Remember, God called Adam to be a gardener, his vocation, before he ate the forbidden fruit. The curse was that he would have to sweat and pull up weeds in place of flowers, being expelled from the Garden of Eden. That was the curse, but... Jesus is called the last Adam who went back into a garden. He bled from the sweat of his brow, hematridosis when he sweat great drops of blood to reverse the curse and redeem Adam's work because Adam was expelled from the garden to bleed by the sweat of his brow. So Jesus, the last Adam, goes back into a garden. He bleeds from the sweat of his brow to reverse the curse and redeem Adam's work. What does that mean for you practically? You say, we are often theological la-la land. What that means for you is that your work is redeemed. Your work matters Work your craft. One of the things that healed me is I, got, I had these timers and I just practiced writing, speaking, and teaching for 11,073 hours and five years. That was huge in getting me out of depression. Number four, we're gonna get very practical. Endorphins, anyone? Endorphins, anyone? Let's get real practical. Paul, in the Bible, used a lot of sports metaphors. Of course, you had the Pan-Ionian games here in Ephesus to where he was writing, you had the Isthmian Games in Corinth. The, the Olympic Games, actually, were in Athens in Paul's day. I don't know if you know that, but the Olympic Games were in Athens. So Paul used a lot of sports metaphors. He talked about epic time ominous in Philippians 3, which was a racing term when he said, I, I press onward for the prize. That was a racing term when you like run hard for the finish. He talked about the mastery, which was a sport back then. It was wrestling. He talked about long, long uh, distance endurance racing. He talked about boxing. Did you know that? First Corinthians 9 talks about shadow boxing. So Paul talked a lot about endorphins. Friends, God put, or not endorphins literally, because he probably didn't know what they were scientifically. He talked a lot about athletics, sports. And by the way, your chargers, let me just say this, Justin Herbert is a stud. And you know what? You guys are blowing like double digit. They're my favorite team right now. I just thought of that. And this is perfect because they're your team now. Um, They're blowing a lot of double digit leads, but they got a good team. Can you imagine how good they're going to be next year? They're going to be good. They're going to be good. But Paul would have had the ESPN app. Like he was constantly talking about sports. Why? I think that when we realize, like this is what Paul said, I beat my body into subjection and 
I, I, I master my body. I make it my slave. 1 Corinthians 9. He, did you know Paul would walk upwards of 20 miles every day on his missionary journeys? Now, what happens when you exercise, when you do athletics of any kind, whether that's just going on a 30-minute walk or whatever, you release these things called endorphins in your bodies, and they, they activate opioid receptors in your brain, which are akin to the drug morphine, minimize discomfort, and actually uh, are painkillers naturally in your body. So scientific research now says a 40-minute jog has the same effect on your brain as an antidepressant. Have you found that to be true? Like you're, you're the mental cobwebs are cleared. When I come to Southern California, one of the things I love to do is one of my best friends is SEAL Team 1, SEAL Team 7, Chad Williams, and he puts me through SEAL training. And we did surf torture the other day and take the kayak right into the waters and then go kayak out to the oil rigs and just do like run up hills with horses with weights and just, he puts me through SEAL training. It makes me so joyful. It makes me so joyful. Why? Because you're releasing so many endorphins, you just feel powerful. So instead of like sitting down saying, oh, I'm so depressed, no one likes me, tie your shoes and go for a run. I love you. Number five, let's keep going. Rewrite your story. Number five, rewrite your story. Do you feel like you've lost the plot? You're having a quarter life crisis as a millennial. You're like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Everyone else on Instagram looks so happy, but I'm not. Listen, the Bible says, Hebrews 12, the Lord is the author and finisher of your faith. And Malachi says that when you speak words honoring his name, it's written down in a book of remembrance and God hearkens. The word hearken is used of a dog perking up its ears when it hears the voice of its master. God is listening to you and he's writing your words down in a book of remembrance. And Psalm 139 says, all your days are written in his book. Spoiler alert, no matter where you are in the middle of the plot, it might be very dark as every great story has a very dark plot. Spoiler alert, all tears will be wiped off your faces. Number six, own your oddness. Everyone say, own your oddness. Own your oddness. How are we doing on time here? 9.45, we're fine. Own your oddness. We're almost there. In the Bible, there are three references to left-handed people in the scripture. Did you know that? Individuals, individuals, I should say. Three individuals who were left-handed mentioned by name. They all come from the tribe of Benjamin. Do you know what the name Benjamin means? Son of my right hand. So all the Southpaws come from the right-handed tribe. This made them odd, obviously. But what they would find is they were different to make a difference. And when you, when you can't fit in, it's because you were meant to stand out. I was telling Chad, my seal friend, this. I'm like, I don't really fit in well to regular society, but I get the seal thing. That makes sense to me. Like sometimes you just don't adapt. You might be maladjusted because you're different to make a difference. And sometimes we're so depressed because nobody gets me. I'm so different from everybody. If you don't fit in, it's because you're meant to stand out. So back to these left-handers. One of these Southpaws was named Ehud. Now back then, to be left-handed was considered a curse. Today it helps you if you're Tua because you throw the defense off when you're playing for the Dolphins. But back then, to be Southpaw, a left-hander was a curse. Yet watch this. Ehud was able to sneak a dagger into the presence of a king named Eglon. The Bible says Eglon was a very fat man. Thy word is truth. And it says that, I mean, I just picture Job of the Hutt. He had his own zip code. This was a big boy. Like exercise, I thought you said extra fries. The body is a temple and sometimes we add additions. So here's this great <laughs> big king, right? And Ehud is able to sneak into the presence of Eglon. He kills him. 
assassinates the king, and then goes and wipes out 10,000 lusty men of Moab and frees Israel from 18 years of oppression under the Moabites. You say, why is that story in there? Well, here's what's interesting. Ehud was left-handed. Have you ever wondered, how did he sneak a dagger into the presence of a king into his palace? Well, back then, TSA, security, the palace guard, what they would do is they would generally frisk your left hip. It's kind of what they would do, haphazard, shoddy, left hip. Why? Because if you're right-handed, where do you draw your sword? Across your body from your left hip. But Ehud was not right-handed. Because he was a southpaw, they evidently didn't frisk his right hip, which was what enabled him to sneak a dagger into the presence of the king and assassinate this wicked, evil ruler in Moab. What's the point? His curse became his blessing. And that's what Nehemiah says, that God can turn a curse into a blessing. This is what Paul said, where I am weak, then am I strong. Literally in Greek, dynamite, then am I dynamite. So where you're weak, there you're strong. Your oddities are your commodities. Own your oddness. That was a good one. I feel good about that. Let's keep going. <laughs> number seven. Number seven. This one's a fun one. Friend ventures. Everyone say friend ventures. We don't go outside as a generation very much anymore. We have Uber Eats. We have Amazon Prime. We have Netflix. We have PlayStation 5. All these things are blessings, but we don't really go outside. No wonder we're the most oppressed generation, sociologists tell us on record, partly because of social media. Because when you're refreshing your feed, the makers of Instagram literally created it, so it's the same movement of your finger, a Pavlovian dog salivation response as a gambling machine. So when you go up to a slot machine, you do this mechanism, which is the same thing you do when you refresh your feed because you trigger scientifically a dopamine loop in your brain, which is an addictive rush because you don't know if you're going to win or you're going to lose. Are you going to win money or lose money at the slot machine? Is this a like or a dislike, a good comment or a bad comment? I need to keep refreshing my feed. And so we spend 14 hours, researchers tell, 14 years, pardon me, on our phones over a lifetime. 14 years! 14 years! We need to go outside and go on adventures with God and adventures with squad. You know one of the things that healed me of depression? Skateboarding. I'm dead serious. Go out. We need to have fun. I'll tell you what, the Bible says in the presence of the Lord, there's fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Here's what's interesting. I was depressed for so long because I hung out with depressing people. If you hang out with depressing people and you're sitting inside all day depressed, of course you're not going to have hope. You become like who you hang out with. The book of Proverbs says, if you walk with the wise, you will become wise. Daniel, the Bible says, had an excellent spirit. Why? Because who were his friends? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He had excellent friends. Sometimes, like, I don't even need to meet you. You can just show me your five closest friends, and I'll basically average them out and tell you where you're going and who you are. If you're surrounded by Larry, Curly, and Mo all day, you're going to have problems. Are you tracking with me? Like, be intentional. Now, I'm not talking about your family. I'm not talking about who you work with. I'm talking about the friends that you can choose who you're going to invest in. I'm not saying just alienate the depressed. No, you want to reach out to them. But ultimately what it comes down to is the people that you're surrounding yourself with that are pouring into you, you want to be surrounded by hopeful people. That is massive. So when I started hanging out with friends who skateboarded, I got a lot more joyful. Number eight, heaven. Everyone say heaven. heaven. Let me tell you in the opposite way, the quickest way to be depressed. Don't believe anything happens to you after you die. Paul said, if we do not believe in the resurrection from the dead, we above all men are most miserable. You will be most miserable if you do not believe in the resurrection from the dead. But guess what? All of you guys here do believe it. Deep down, deep down. You know what the book of Ecclesiastes 3.11 says? 
He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has put eternity in our hearts. Science, this, this maintains majority support. Science now validates this, that across the world, even in secularized communities and cultures where belief in God remains relatively low, people tend to believe in an afterlife or some persistence of consciousness beyond death. How do you explain that? How do you explain the fact that we love in the present those who've died in the past? There's no social utility, Darwinian explanation, evolutionary principle that can explicate why this is the case. Song of Solomon says, many waters cannot quench love. Love is one of the great metaphysical arguments for the immortality of the soul. John said, God is love. Why do we feel deep down in our hearts that there's something beyond this world? It's because God hardwired it into us. And science now validates, like, yeah, for some reason, everyone around the world, even where believing God is relatively low, they say, oh, they're in a better place. Why do people just tend to believe that? Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us the answer. God hardwired eternity in our hearts. So know this. When people you love die or when you're about to die, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. In my Father's house are many mansions. Do not let your heart be troubled, Jesus said. Literally, do not let your heart shudder. Don't have a heartquake. Heaven's coming. Number nine, Elroy. Would everyone say Elroy? Elroy. L-R-O-I. Elroy. This was the first nickname that was ever given to God by a character in the Bible. This character just so happened to be an immigrant Egyptian slave girl. She was dying in a desert. God rescued her. Her name was Hagar, and she said, thou art El Roy. What does that mean? You are the God who sees. You're the God who sees. Sometimes we're depressed because no one sees us. No one gets us. So a lot of people through transference and sublimation, try to get the pain from their mind to their body to distract their mind from the pain and they cut themselves. And this is also a way of saying, can you see me? Do you see what I'm going through? You know, sometimes people are like, oh, they're just threatening suicide because they want attention. And I'm like, of course, of course. If they're that depressed and need attention that badly, that's not a cause to judge them. That's a cause to give them all the more focus and empathy and compassion and love because we all need attention. We were made for, we were not made to be alone. It's not good that man should dwell alone. So what does the Bible say? God is Elroy. He sees you. He sees you. Let me give you an example. Elroy, the God who sees you, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and the Father is Elroy, the God who sees you. Let's look at Jesus, master therapist, wonderful counselor. Jesus finds Peter after Peter denied him three times next to, watch this, a charcoal fire, Right? Jesus, after he rises from the dead in this story, builds a charcoal fire and has Peter tell him three times that he loves him. Now, this is the modern psychiatric technique of psychodrama, but Jesus was doing it in anticipation of its invention some 1900 years or whatever in advance because he's a brilliant therapist. He's walking Peter through his topographical traumas and triggers, retraining his brain, reframing his pain, so that every time Peter thinks of the number three or hears roosters or sees charcoal fires, he was reminded of how he told Jesus three times he loved him rather than the three times he denied him. Jesus saw not only what Peter was going through, but the cure that he needed. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus said, and the Father is Elroy, the God who sees. He does see you. And he not only sees what you're going through, he has the cure. The Bible says he has the healing balm of Gilead. And the Bible says he is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Number 10, number 10, let God love on you. 
Two more to go. Let God love on you. Everyone say, let God love on you. What does the book of Proverbs say? Anxiety in the heart causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Anxiety and fear, this is something that we've all felt before. That's human. But the Bible says perfect love casts out fear, and God is love. Friends, God does not want you to live with crippling anxiety and fear. He wants to love the fear clean out of you and the heavens right into you. We live in a capitalistic, consumeristic society of upward mobility where we have to earn our keep and pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we need upward mobility. We, we don't like free lunches, so we gotta earn it. That's how it works politically, but remember, when it comes to divinity, it's the opposite. You do not have to do anything to get God's love. Just sit back, relax, and let God give you a sloppy bear hug from heaven. <laughs> Friends, this is the best one because number 11 is just another way of saying do nothing. Paul said, by grace, through faith, in hope. You don't, not of works, just let him love you. And when you know that God loves you, you're gonna face the world without fear. Finally, number 11, dreamality. Everyone say dreamality. Isn't it amazing how when you walk with God, he turns your reality into a dreamality? Isn't it amazing how he starts to cause your heart's desires to sync up with the plans that he has for your life, like Bluetooth pairing devices, they start to sync up, and you want the same thing God wants? So you're no longer like, oh, my, my heart's deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? That's the old covenant. No, the new covenant is he's given me a regenerated heart, not of stone, but of flesh upon which he writes on the tables of my heart, his law, Hebrews says. So I listen to what he's writing on my heart. And when you walk in the spirit, suddenly Psalm 20 says, may the Lord grant you your heart's desire. Psalm 21, two says, the Lord has granted me my heart's desire. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord. He gives you the desires of your heart. Psalm 145, 19 says, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. The book of Psalms says, he satisfies the desire of every living thing. Proverbs 10, 24 says the desire of the righteous will be granted. Proverbs says hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it's as a tree of life. Friends, what is the dream, vision, and desire that God put in your heart? You know what Paul said? I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. You know what the Bible says in Acts and Joel respectively? Old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. If you're walking away from the dreams and visions that God put in your heart, and you're saying, oh, I'm gonna move away from my, no, you gotta move deeper into the desire that God put in your heart. That's when you start changing your corner of the world and your sphere of influence. If you're like, no, 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 I, 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 God put these desires in my heart to frustrate me. No, he put those desires in your heart to fulfill you. So delight in him, enjoy the joy of being enjoyed by God, dreamcast, visioneer, and do it unto the universe. So there it is, 11 weapons to defeat the dark Lord of depression. I know we only had 30 minutes to do that, but I wanted to arm you at least with an overview of what you'll need to defeat the enemy. So I hope that today you have a different perspective on depression. I hope that today you'll understand how to help people who go through depression and that when you yourself are depressed, you'll remember these weapons that you can take up to be strengthened with might by the power of the spirit in the inner man to defeat the prince of the power of the air, the God of this world, and the dark lord of depression. Because this perspective is everything. Outlook determines outcome. And when your outlook gets bleak, try the uplook. Because if you change the way you look at things, things will change the way they look. The problem is never the problem. The problem is my perception about the problem. And my hopelessness about a problem is a bigger problem than my problem. And when my problem's too big for me, it's just the right size for God. So my prayer and praise will be a problem for my problems. But if you change your outlook, 
you have a different outcome, you go to the up look. Let's pray. Thank you so much, God, for giving us not only these theoretical hopes in the scripture, but very practical strength in regards to how to defeat this depression that has ransacked our generation, has had a run of the place, has been the order of the day in Gen Z and Gen Y. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us greater degrees of joy, Irene, shalom, peace, charis, grace. I pray, Lord, that we would not be a mope generation, but that we would be a hope generation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and worship together. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today to another great message from Atmosphere Church. If this message has spoken to your heart, would you take a moment and share it with your friends? You can connect with us on Spotify, iTunes Podcast, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Simply do a search for Atmosphere Church through these various platforms and then click the follow or subscribe buttons. It's another great way for us to be able to stay connected with you. If you live in the Southern California area, we would love to invite you to be a part of our family. For more information about our church, go to our official website at atmosphere.church. Finally, if this service and our other resources bless you, would you consider giving back to Atmosphere Church to support not just these things, but to also support the creation of even more resources for you? To make a donation, simply go to our website and click the link that says Give. Your gift of any amount is greatly appreciated. Until next time, we pray you will keep the faith, spread the hope, and live the love.